scripture reading for tonight comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 26 through chapter 16, verses 15. But when the counselor comes, when I shall send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness to me. And you also are witnesses, because you have been with me from the beginning. I've said all, these, all of this to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do this because they have not known the Father, nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convince the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The word of the Lord. Seen the youngsters parade, except the youngsters were um, coming out. Sorry for being late. I had a really cool, deep intellectual reading um, from a book by Gil Bailey called "Violence Unveiled: Humanity at the Crossroads." If you're familiar with the work of James Allison or Rene Girard in mimetic theory, uh, I recommend this book. I'm not going to read um, the cool quote. What are you doing in church today? It's a long weekend. (laughs) And what's all this red for? Happy Pentecost. You know it's Pentecost? One of the three high holy feasts of the church and the most neglected. And I'm going to make the case that it's the most important um, high feast for the church to uh, be apprehended by in the century to come. Pentecost. It marked the 50th day in Judaism after Passover, and it was a celebration of the harvest, bringing the fruits of the harvest in. Um, It was appropriated by Christians uh, the seventh Sunday after Easter, and it's about pouring out of the Holy Spirit. 
or as I'd like to say tonight, the resurrection's initial public offering, IPO, resurrection. In honor of Mark Zuckerberg, whose Facebook just went uh, IPO this week. Um, when a social network titan uh, tumbles and its stock falls $8 when it, at its initial public offering, there's a new term, they call it a face plant. <laughs> um, it's part of that economic system that... Um, it's coming into question as we move into the decades ahead. So what are you doing in church on Memorial Day weekend and Pentecost? Do you come to church for something new, for an outpouring? When's the last time you came and got an outpouring of something completely new? Right? And the tension of this weekend is that most of the culture thinks of it as something where we remember, right? We remember our loved ones have gone before, particularly our servicemen and women, and um, their sacrifice, which is a beautiful thing. But we're also called not just to, to memory, because Pentecost is a holiday about imagination, about being led into all truth, aletheia in the Greek, right? It's not, we can remember, and we should also remember during this memorial weekend to, that as Christians, we are called to remember to start studying war no more, to putting down our sword and shield by the riverside. So there's this tension. It's a weekend of memory, but for Christians, it's, it's being led into all truth by um, the counselor, by the friend, by the advocate, by the Christ life offered, poured out. I want us to focus on two verses, and, and my translation is a little different than the one Deb read. Um, and I've done a lot of Pentecost sermons, and this is the first time this has caught me off. I've done goofy Pentecost sermons, where it's the birthday of the church and we throw balloons and have a cake. I, I, I threw that one out. Um, I, I've done erotic uh, Pentecost sermons. You know, the divine kiss, when you two went all trashy and they had that, that uh, belly dancer doing you move in mysterious ways. They were singing about ruach in the Hebrew. The feminine Holy Spirit, you know. So I've done, I've done erotic Pentecost sermons. And I've done violent ones. The first Pentecost sermon I ever wrote, I was living in Highland. And remember that 97, those sheer winds came through Highland? And I was there, <laughs> Neil, you were there? I was writing my sermon about violent winds, and my living room window started caving in and rattling, and then ping, ping, ping. And I went crawling into the basement um, laughing at this power we so blithely invoke. The next day, I couldn't get into my car because the, the, the tree was in front of my garage, and I had to bike to church in Miriam Park. And as I was going by, there was this um, cable, this electric down cable. And it's like, man, yeah, it was sparking. That's Pentecost. That's cool. But what I want us to concentrate on tonight is, is this Deb read, when the Spirit comes, Jesus says at the table discourse, when the Spirit comes, he's going to convince you the world of judgment, truth. In my version, it says... The, the Spirit's going to prove you wrong. He's going to prove the world wrong. Okay? And the ruler is going to be condemned. Now, I'm not, you know, and I'm really careful as a liberal mainline Protestant about tell, talking about wrongdoing in church. You know, I'm not, I'm not, when I'm talking about wrongdoing, I'm not talking about shame and guilt and all that stuff, you know, drinking, playing with face cards, chewing and go, going out with girls that do it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, and not the church judging, but when the Spirit shows up, 
And you've hung out with these Neobardians to know enough that when God shows up and says yes, there's an inevitable no, right? There's a kind of crisis before the good news. When John starts his gospel, he says, the light has come into the world, but the darkness, you know, you prefer dark, right? And so when the Spirit shows up and all to lead us into truth, it's going to prove the world wrong and it's going to condemn the rulers of this world the way we've arranged things. And this isn't an angry, account-keeping guy with an old beard. This is the way life is supposed to be, the raised life. And so, by comparison, we're wrong. Okay? In some ways, well, I shouldn't even say in some ways, empire is wrong. I'm going to see if any of my parishioners are here tonight. I like the subversive way you cover up the symbols of empire. Now, I love that symbol, the American flag, but it has nothing... This is too big a space for the American flag, for any national allegiance. We can fly the flag out there all we want. We live in this great country, but this is a bigger space than that. And I got the flags out of my other church, but not here yet. This isn't being recorded, is it? Okay. So what are we wrong about? If it's not wrongdoing, it's, it's basically a wrong being. It's, a, it's, a, it's an alienation that we feel. When I start with a confirmation class, I say, look, I can't prove any of this to you. You're going to have to experience it for yourself. But the one thing I can tell you is that there's something a little bit amiss, a little bit wrong with your life and with the world. That's the starting point. And they go, oh, there is not. I don't want to be here. I don't need confirmation. The world's all right. And I show them a clip from Schindler's List where they're cleaning out the Warsaw Ghetto, the Nazis, to Mozart. You don't think there's something wrong? Huh. Okay. We live in a subtly violent world. Subtly violent world. Our warfare is carried out by drones flown by a guy in Vegas who can make his kids band practice. National Football League players are coming out and saying, you know, we might be wrong. And not just Kurt Warner, the Christian football player, but others. Junior Seitao is coming. He put a shotgun to his heart. Did you hear that news? And they're starting to think, maybe we got something wrong here with the nation's greatest sport. And, and I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm not like a liberal tree hugger. I like football. But when football players come out and say, there might be something wrong. Um, we get creation wrong. Just watched a movie last night called Collapse. It's by a guy who helped the CIA sell drugs in L.A. in the 1980s. Um, and, and, and like all those kinds of conspiracy movies, he's just a little bit kooky, but the stuff he's saying, and what he was saying basically is that this promise of unlimited growth and diminishing resources on our planet, that's, that's coming. We got it wrong. The same spirit that hovered over the waters and brought forth creation, that same spirit is waiting for the children of God to be revealed, according to Romans. All creation is groaning that you all will wake up and become conscious of the fact that we need to imagine something different. 
technology and video games. You know, I, I think we need to be careful that, that our technology is outpacing our ability to reflect upon it. Even shopping is a kind of violence. Um, Barry Schwartz, I'm sorry I took on shopping. It's kind of a goofy example, but um, in a minute I'll get to what we do um, when we're wrong. Barry Schwartz, this philosopher and psychologist, um, related this experience of needing to get a new pair of jeans. And the last pair of jeans he'd bought worked really well for like three decades. He bought them back in the 70s. He said, I went to the store and to the jean section, and first of all, they asked me if I wanted easy fit, relaxed fit, regular fit. Second of all, they wanted me to know whether they wanted it to hang at the waist or below the waist, whether I wanted straight leg, boot cut, uh, slim cut, and acid wash or stone washed. And he said this. He said, it was the best pair of jeans I ever bought, but at the end of that hour of all those choices, I felt wrong. I felt wrong. The, the paradox of choice. So when the Spirit comes, he's going to prove the way we've been doing things wrong. And the solution is this, and this is why Pentecost is important, of the three major Christian holidays. If Christmas, everybody loves Christmas because we love babies, and there God became human and showed us what humanity at full stretch is like. The incarnation is really important because now humanity is assumed by God and we can move forward. Easter, the second major holiday, not only has God dealt with humanity, but now God has proven that death is really no problem for God. That's the big rub. That's where all our wrongdoing comes from, the fact that we know we're going to die. And the two things we do, according to Gerard, James Allison, and the book I didn't read for you tonight, the two things we do when we know that we're going to die is we start killing other people, scapegoating other people, and we start scrambling for the goods, what the anthropologists call mana life, right? Consumerism and violence are the two things when we fear death. If you're in a good existential place, read Ernst Becker's Denial of Death. But once we have this Easter God saying, I've become human, I've taken care of death, and now at Pentecost, and this is why it's the most important feast now, is I want to share this life with you. It's not about memory, it's about imagination. You know, and if you read the Acts story, it's like um, young men are going to see visions, old men are going to dream dreams, and I, apparently women too. Sorry for the, uh, you know. Humanity is going to have new visions, new dreams. The Spirit will lead you into all truth. And the word truth in the Greek, aletheia, the, the literal meaning of it is the Spirit's going to lead you into unconcealedness, unhiddenness. It's a kind of reality of life that has contrition to it and sincerity. It's not a kind of truth that you can learn from a book or in a classroom. It's a kind of um, knowledge that you were talking about in the prayer. Did we? We did not talk before the service. It's great to have a prayer saying in the prayer the same thing that I'm trying to say. 
This is a knowledge, this unrevealedness that is poured out on all humanity. Resurrection, its initial public offering. Um, it's good news. What it does is wake us up to consciousness. To begin to become disillusioned with the way the world has ordered things. Gerard, Allison, Bailey all say that God's cross, the intelligent victim, throws a wrench into that entire system and says, don't blame anybody anymore and stop killing people. It's about life. And participate in this and reimagine ways of living life with the Spirit. You don't have to kill people and you don't have to consume a lot of stuff. You can start taking care of creation. How many of you are going to spend time in your gardens this weekend? Yeah. So let me leave you with a, a cycling metaphor. I like to ride my bike. And I have a brother-in-law who lives over by Lake Michigan, and he's an aerobic god. He's a decade older than I am, and he can ride faster and stronger. And he rides along Lake Michigan where the winds blow like 25, 30 miles off the lake. And he, he invites me for a ride once in a while. And the other thing is, is that he's not only a faster rider, but he underestimates how far we're going to ride. He said, it's just to, we're going to ride to Pie and Coffee, and it's only 40 miles. And then 75 miles later, we're at Pie and Coffee. I'm exhausted. And the reason I'm exhausted is because we're riding into a 30-mile-an-hour headwind off the lake. You know? And I'm just exhausted. And we finally get there, and I'm ready to take up a new... I mean, this is no exaggeration. I was ready to chuck my bike in the ditch and say, forget it. I'm going to play tennis or darts or something. We had our pie and coffee, and we turned around, though. And if you know anything, if you ride out against a headwind, if you, if you, you get to come in with the wind, See, and you're going with the wind. And then you feel like you're as strong as Lance Armstrong. And, and, and you're not riding the ride, the ride's riding you. That's what Pentecost is. That's what resurrection publicly shared is. Going with God and letting God's life live through us. And it proves the world wrong. And it proves that we need community to imagine the future. The other thing about cycling is, is that if you ride together in a community, you're more efficient. If you draft right off the wheel, um, you, you, you gain 33% more efficiency. Is that enough about cycling? Happy Pentecost. It's the most important um, sharing of the God life. It's God becoming human, saying, I have no problem with death, and I want to share that with you, and you can live, and I'll start living that life in you. Thomas Merton, my Catholic monk, my 20th century spiritual hero, he, he said this in his, his prologue to a book of poems called Cables to the Ace, which you still have my copy of, Russell. Can you give it back? He says this. There's... 
more Holy Spirit three doors down than you'll ever know what to do with, buster. I like that quote because he says buster. There's more Holy Spirit three doors down than we'll ever know what to do with, buster.